I wasn't always in this chair. There was a time when I could run and, and play, but Mother never let me play. A secret laboratory. She told me I wasn't like the other boys, that I was special. You can do anything, anything at all. A brilliant young scientist. Tissue burn sequence initialized. A shocking genetic discovery. Sorry, pal, but you'll grow a new one. I could heal anything, from cancer to Alzheimer's. From the Masters of Horror at Fangoria Magazine. Nord Cam will be sending a courier first thing in the morning. Nord Cam, you no longer own it. Severed ties. <laughs> the chilling tale of an experiment that leads science out of control and takes horror out on a limb. Severed ties. They are the sons of evil. They are the daughters of darkness. They were born when hell began to burn. In the classic tradition of Nosferatu and Dracula comes a terrifying story of the undead and the innocent souls they must seduce to survive. But the only way to help them is to find the source of the vampires. We are their prey. He is their lord. They are his children. Children of the night. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Screaming Mimi himself, the Cecil. I'm the Screaming Mimi. You're a Screaming, screaming Mimi. Mimi. Yes. Peter's here. I'm here, apparently, according to our lovely fan base, Pete's drunk. Pete doesn't like the movie. AdamandEve.com. There you yeah. can use the promo code DROME and you would get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free US shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at AdamandEve.com. And also, especially if you're going to look for a couple of the movies we're talking about tonight, you need the digital condom that is a VPN. So what you do is you go to 1201beyond.com backslash DROME VPN, and that'll take you to Nord's site. NordVPN is one of the best VPNs out 
Shelter Virtual Private Network. If you go through our link, you'll be able to get 75% off of a three-year plan for Nord. They'll be able to encode your data. They'll be able to protect your data. You'll be able to get around region locking, especially if you're going to be on public Wi-Fi or anything, which I guess in the Corona thing is not a big deal. But if you are, you really need a VPN because you don't know who's watching. So 1201beyond.com backslash Drome VPN. Tonight, what we're going to talk about are the Fangoria movies. We're going to talk about the main ones, the ones that they started with in the early 1990s, and then the stuff that they're doing today. Fangoria has technically released a lot more movies than we think they have. They made three films, Mind Warp, Children of the Night, and Severed Ties in the early 90s. Then mm-hmm. they went to just a distribution model where they released Wilderness, I Zombie, Lady of the Lake, Angel of the Night, Schools Out, Slashers, Eternal Blood, One Hell of a Christmas, and then the Blood Drive 1 and 2. Then under the Gore Zone label, they released the last horror movie, Dead Meat, Skin Deep, Joshua, Insecticidal. Then under the Fangoria Fright Fest label, they released Fragile, Grim Love, Pig Hunt, The Haunting, Dark House, Hunger, The Tomb, Roadkill, rebranded with Fangoria Presents again, and they released Axe, Inhuman Resources, Entity, Sin Reaper, Germ Z, Omnivores, and Corpsing, and nobody's heard of any of those movies that they just released. But then when <laughs> Dallas Sonnier of Cinestate bought Fangoria a couple of years ago, they started Fangoria Films up again, Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich, Satanic Panic, VFW, and Porno. So we're going to look at just the Fangoria Films, the 90s stuff and the 2000. 18 to now stuff. That's what we're going to be mm-hmm. looking at tonight. Not okay. just not the stuff that they just happened to release. We all grew up reading Fangoria. It doesn't matter what era it was. We all grew up reading Fangoria. So I remember being older than you guys when Fangoria decided we're going to start making movies. And of course, they would cover them in Fangoria and Gore Zone and things like that. And they made three movies, all in Eagle River, Wisconsin, up here at Windsor Lake Studios near me. And the movies were mainly released direct to video. Mind Warp has always been my favorite. I mean, for obvious reasons, it's a post-apocalyptic film, but I feel that it is the the most ambitious of the three and i enjoy all three of them you've got the post-apocalyptic setting you've got angus scrim you've got bruce campbell you've got a futuristic vr implanted society where everyone has turned to cannibalism it's just it's such a cool movie i've always really enjoyed it i think that the uh, production value is very good for what was obviously a low budget film thought the concept was great i just enjoy everything about it so uh, that was always my favorite of the uh, of the lot Absolutely agreed with Cecil. Mind Warp is really fun. And when I watched it, I didn't even know that it was a Fangoria release film. I just really liked it for the post-apocalyptic element, for Bruce Campbell, for Angus Scrim. I just thought it was a really fun movie. Knowing later that it was a Fangoria release film, I was like, oh, that's that's kind of neat. Because like I already I already kind of liked it for what it was to begin with when I saw it. Just a fun a fun movie, very inventive. Always always enjoyed it very much. Still like it quite a lot. As I said, did not even know that it was a Fangoria films. Now see, Fangoria decided that they were going to start making movies after they made a TV commercial. Welcome to the world of terror. When I'm not busy embalming bodies, which isn't often, I like to relax with some good family reading. Let me introduce you to my personal library of Fangoria, the leader 
in horror entertainment. What a fascinatingly hideous cover of Freddy Krueger. And devilishly candid reviews of the latest horror videos. And gloriously bloody color photos from the newest Friday the 13th. They're all here in Fangoria. Can I persuade you to subscribe? This is Fango editor Tony Tapone asking you to enter the world of Fangoria. Only $12.49 for a special six-month video subscription. Send check or money order to Fangoria Magazine, 475 Park Avenue South, New York, 10016. Ah, oh, let the dead bodies wait. They made that TV commercial in 1988 with Angus Scrimm as the tall man for subscribe to Fangoria. I think it only yes. played on MTV. Ironically enough, I saw that commercial for the first time on MTV the night I went to go see Phantasm 2. So that was just <laughs> weird. But that is what made them decide, why don't we make movies too? They actually made Mind Warp, or if you're a... Uh, one of our foreign listeners, Brain Slasher, as it was released over there. They oh, that's seem... such a better title. Brain Slasher. That's great. Wasn't there a Brain Slasher? Brain already? Smasher is, is an Albert Pune movie, the Brain. one with Andrew oh, Dice Clay. The, uh, right, Andrew when Dice, he's the bouncer. Clay movie. Yeah. That's right. With Terry, 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 Terry Hatcher. Hatcher. Oh, yeah. that's an awesome movie. I love that's that. such a good if movie. If I say you're a ninja, then you're a ninja! <laughs> <laughs> even, even though they're Chinese. such a good movie mind warp brain slasher was the first one made it was the first one released but not technically because they made mind warp there are differing stories on why mind warp was held back some are Mm post-production some are we want more time to promote it but children of the night the second made film technically came out first if you count the one screening it had at the toronto film festival on september 6 1991 it actually did beat mind warp out out, but in reality, for all intents and purposes, Mind Warp did come out first. Mind Warp being made first. I thought this was a strange choice because Fangoria, you know them as a horror movie magazine. I thought it was weird. Now, obviously, when you see the movie, it makes more sense. But I thought it was weird that they started off with a science fiction film. Yeah, like more of a more of like a post-apocalyptic kind of movie. Even with all the VR stuff, it seems like something more Starloggy. After you see it, yeah, right. it's super gory and all that. So I just thought that was weird that Fangoria started with a sci-fi movie. Then they went to a vampire film, Children of the Night. And then they went to, what would you even describe Severed Ties as? It's sort of a oh. science run amok kind of film. Bonkers. Sort of. Bonkers. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's that, but I'm just like, if you had to pigeonhole it, because Children of the Night, vampire movie, Mind Warp, post-apocalyptic, what would you pigeonhole Severed Ties into? Because it's kind of a weird one. I would kind of actually put it in with, like, Reanimator, you know, science gone wrong. Yeah, I I agree. I think think that's that's pretty accurate. It, It sort of feels like that kind of Stuart Gordon reanimator kind of thing. I, I think it works in that sense is, yeah, science, science gone wrong sort of thing. I think that works. Well, let's start with Mind Warp. We have Mind Warp. This is directed by Steve Barnett, who would later go on to unfortunately make Scanner Cop 2, the worst film in the Scanners franchise. But he also I made... like Scanner Cop 2. <laughs> Boo. Yeah, Scanner Cop 2 is the worst <laughs> film in that franchise. Dude. I don't mind it. I think it's okay. 
Fine, you can be wrong. Steve Barnett directed <laughs> Mind War. Prior to that, he'd done Hollywood Boulevard 2, a movie that does not get enough credit, and I, I mm. really enjoy. Mind Warp is a very dirty, it's a very grimy film. I mean, you've got Bruce Absolutely. Campbell. Absolutely. You have Bruce Campbell running around doing his I'm a crazy Bruce Campbell routine. You've got Angus Scrim <laughs> just looking like he's having fun, like he's having a ball as the evil seer or the overseer depending on which role is real. Unfortunately, I think the actress that played Judy wasn't the strongest, but Mind Warp's a lot of I... fun. It's gory as hell. It's it's a weird future that and maybe the movie is a cop-out in one of those rubber realities. We don't know. I do think After the Fact was a perfect Fangoria film, but before anyone saw it, I just think it was weird that we're making a science fiction movie as a horror magazine. Well, yeah, people probably were like looking at it was like, what the f***? Why is why is Fangoria's debut film like a Mad Max movie? Then they actually watched it and were like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it all comes down to is it seems like an odd choice until you actually see it and see how gritty and disgusting it is. Yeah. It is a very dirty film. I think that they probably, like everybody that worked on that had to take a shower afterwards. Because <laughs> it was just, it was, it was slimy and gritty. I mean, they did a great job. I don't want to spoil it for the people who haven't seen it. I think it was basically projecting this is what the world would be like. You know, this this is what the world could be like out there. You know, everybody has just resorted to cannibalism because that's all that's left. Every the top side is all dirty, and everybody lives underground. And it's just, you know, there's there's worms and muck and you know grime getting in every orifice. You basically got to do what you got to do to to survive. And it's a neat film. It's really good. It's it's got a lot of horror aspects. It's got a, a neat sci-fi angle. You've got great performances from uh, from from Angus Scrim and Bruce Campbell's doing good. And I agree. The girl who plays the lead, sadly, the weakest link in the whole thing. <laughs> she just doesn't, she doesn't, like, she, she's serviceable, but I think that they maybe could have had somebody better. But I don't, I don't think that she's bad. It's just, I think that everything else is so good that it makes her kind of stand out a little bit more. But overall, I think the whole thing really fits and it, it does feel like a Fangoria movie. It feels like a movie that, okay, yeah, I could see Fangoria making this. It surprises you. It you you realize that it is a fit for Fangoria once you actually watch it. It's not just a uh, on the surface. It seems like it's just going to be kind of a post-apocalyptic Mad Max kind of thing, but there's a lot more layers to it. I definitely think that it is a a proper fit for something that Fangoria would release. I'm friends with Hank Carlson, who later would go on to work at K and B. But at the at this point in time, he was just the special, the in-house special effects person at Windsor Lake Studios, where all three of these were shot, as well as The Inheritor, Trapped Alive, Chill Factor, movies like that, or Demon Possessed mm-hmm. in America, where Hank and I did the commentaries on the Arrow Blu-rays and all that, which you can pick up, where we talk about his history. But I sat down with him and talked to him a little bit about the Fangoria films, and here's what he had to say about my. Mind Warp. So on the movie Mind Warp, which was the first of the Fangoria films, I just coming. I worked at Windsor Lake Studios as their on-staff makeup artist. This was the very first movie that I was actually working around, as I call it, a real crew and real cast. I worked with Bruce Campbell and Angus Scrimm every single day, and that was just odd as hell because I grew up watching Evil Dead and Phantasm. 
and there they were. They were real people. And I got to see them, you know, eat dinner and breakfast and hang out with them and laugh and cry and do everything. So it was, it was very weird when you see your idols like that and you get to work with them and you become almost, you know, this on every movie set, you become a family. So it's always hard when, you know, people leave. But I did get to work with Bruce Campbell and other cast members in the future. One funny story that took place on Mind Warp was that uh, Angus Scrim. I had to go, everybody had pretty much left the studio, and I had to go in and get something that Angus had left behind. I think it was the seer mask. And he was he had a trailer in the back of the studio. And the back of the studio was a deep forest, because uh, Eagle River is forest community. It's all woods and lakes. So I had to go into this trailer, and they turned off the electricity, and it was pitch black out except for a full moon. And the full moon just happened to be catching Angus just right, and he was in the far back end of the trailer. And I walked in, and it was like one of those holy shit movie, you know, moments, because I was like, that's the tall man. <laughs> He's going to get me. I'm waiting for, like, little, you know, the little minions to run out and grab me. And I collected the seer mask, and then I was leaving, and I was kind of in a hurry because I was kind of scared from, you know, the moonlight casting off Angus's brow. The door handle broke off in my hand. I couldn't get out. We couldn't get out of the trailer, and everybody had pretty much left. I remember all of a sudden hearing over the back of side of me, uh, Angus saying from the back of the trailer, he's like, young Hank, you let's use our minds to concentrate, and maybe we can conjure someone to come and open up the door. Well, I'd seen enough phantasms. I was like banging on the door like, help me! <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was one of those type of moments. Also on that film... Eagle River is a very small town. Having these bigger stars, I mean, bigger in the horror community, I think they're probably bigger names now than when they were back then. But the nice thing about Eagle River was no one cares. There's, they've made other films up there, bigger films. There's a lot of actors that live up there. Harrison Ford visits there quite often, and no one cares. Bruce would be walking down the street shopping for moccasins at, you know, little tourist trap places, and he would do his flip right on the sidewalk in front of a bunch of crowd of people, and they'd just look at him like, who is this freak? I mean, they wouldn't get a laugh. They wouldn't, you know, people wouldn't be like, you're Bruce Campbell. They would just kind of like avoid, you know, run out in front of a car to get out to the other side of the street. It was, it was quite hysterical. So on Mind Warp, uh, obviously on any movie, if people have worked on movies, a lot of the cast and crew get to be the extras in the background. Did my own makeup and made myself into one of the crawlers and one of the background scenes where Angus is doing his thing. Also, another little cool thing that I got to do was one of my very close friends who was in drama, um, she was younger than me, but she we did a lot of the drama at the in our high school plays. She was the deaf me or the mute. I got her that part on that film. She's still very you know close still one of my closest friends. Really neat to see her actually working on a film like that from us going from, you know, high school plays to, you know, here she is working on an actual movie set. So I, I like to do that for people. Did that for another friend, too, on Children of the Night. He got to be one of the vampires, and he's he's not he's not featured vampire, but he does have a close-up, and that's, that's Sean McKeever. And the girl that played the, I didn't mention her name, the girl that was the the mute, um, that's Wendy Sandow. Another really cool thing that happened on that, well, I guess not cool thing, but I got a call that we had to deliver, or that they ran out of blood, 
and we were they were filming up in Gay, Michigan. It's way, way up in the U- UP of, of Michigan, the Upper Peninsula. And it wasn't very, it, it, it took a while to get there. Well, they ran out of blood. That's where they were doing the scene where Bruce is fighting the guy in the beginning with the ice shoves and there, that black sand that goes on for miles, that's real. And why no other films have been filmed there, I have no idea, but it's awesome. So anyhow, they gave me the call, and they're like, Hank, Hank, we're, we need blood. We, we ran out of blood. So I had to jump in the car, the rental car. It was a beige interior, light beige, and I have a five-gallon bucket of blood. And I had a production assistant put it in the car, drove off, took off flying up to Gay, Michigan. The only thing in Gay, Michigan is actually a bar called The Gay Bar. I, that's where everybody was sitting waiting for me to show up with the blood. Well, going up there, I was driving like a madman. I didn't realize that the five-gallon bucket of blood, the cover wasn't on it tight. So I took a corner really tight, really sharp, and I heard, boosh. And I looked down at my feet, and it looked like the shining when the elevator doors open and the blood comes out from underneath. I mean, five gallons of blood in a tiny, like, Ford Taurus with beige interior. So I had to quick pull over, wipe a bunch of the blood back into the container as much as I could to seal the top and then drive. When I got there, that was the big joke because they're like, how are we going to turn this used car back in and not get our deposit back <laughs> because it's all full of blood? What are they going to think we're doing up here? You know, the Windsor Lake was fairly new and they already thought we were a cult or something out there. It was kind of funny. So when I started at Windsor Lake, I was their on-set studio had makeup artist. Well, they hired KB Effects Group, which was just coming off of um, doing Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. And I knew who they were from reading, you know, Fangoria magazines and everything. So I was very excited. And they brought, at that time, they were told that they had to use me. Well, they didn't like that so much, but they showed up because they were like, who in a small town like this is going to know, you know, anything about effects? It was Howard Berger came and Mark Matry and it was and then myself so then they had to use me well at first they didn't really talk to me they didn't do a lot with me I was pretty much like their coffee boy to go and get them things till then there was a uh, I was sitting in the makeup room they were out filming something one of the people came in and said we need this person in a crawler makeup immediately ASAP because they changed the scenes around and they needed it done and this was like a featured crawler it was the bigger the overweight crawler at the time i was like oh okay well i can't do that because i'm not can be and they told me not to touch anything the guy that came in the is like this one of the producers he's like you're a makeup artist aren't you and i'm like yes and he's like then put him in his makeup so i put him in the makeup and i thought this is it i'm gonna get fired i'm gonna get fired we went out onto the soundstage howard's like who who did that and I was like, oh, here it comes. And he went over and he looked it over, and I said, I did this. He didn't say anything. They shot everything. And then he's like, Hank, I want to talk to you for a minute alone. So he pulled me aside, and I thought, I, okay, I'm getting fired right now. And he complimented me. He was like, that was just as good as what we could have done. And he was amazed. So then later on in the film, Howard Berger asked, you know, asked me if I wanted to come back to L.A. with him and basically he would teach me stuff and be his protege. I was, that was like winning the lottery. So uh, that's how then I got to move to L.A. and become one of the original KMP members. 
I was a jack of all trades kind of on the movie uh, when I just from Winter Lake. So I helped out the wardrobe department before the makeup people came. Wardrobe lady was uh, Ida Giron, and she was heading the makeup, and she had an assistant um, from Minnesota. Well, I got to do a bunch of the stuff with them. Uh, the crawl, there's a crawler that actually has a Packer helmet on in the movie. That's my doing. I got to help make costumes with them, and they, they taught me a lot. Well, later on during the movie, Bruce Campbell and Ida started you know, seeing each other, and they ended up getting married, and that is his wife to this day. So it was really fun because then they met in my hometown, fell in love, and later I've, you know, they've, they, they're still my, you know, good friends. And it's, it's awesome that we have that tie. After they made Mind Warp, they made Children of the Night. Now, all these films were all a package deal. Tony Timpone of Fangoria, who we'll speak to later, made a deal with Columbia TriStar and they got the money for all the movies at once. So they had, they had X amount of money. I think it was $6 million total to make the three movies. And unfortunately, Children of the Night is a, is a bit of a sticking point to this. So they brought in mm. Tony Randell, fresh off of Hellraiser 2, to make Children of the Night. And he went over budget with it. So they had to pull oh. money away from severed ties to fix Tony Randell going over budget with Children of the Night. But Children of the Night is, it's a vampire story, small town America. It's, it's definitely Wisconsin, but they don't say Wisconsin, I don't think, at any point. Children of the Night, it's... You can see it where the money is. You can see all the great lighting. There are some shots in Children of the Night where I said, oh yeah, De Tony Randell definitely just came off Hellraiser. That room where Karen Black and her daughter are held, you tell me that is not straight out of one of the rooms in Hellbound Hellraiser 2 with all the slats mm -hmm. with the light coming up behind them. It literally looks like someone just opened the box in this. Children of the Night, it's very well directed, great lighting, great practical effects. You can kind of see a few problems with it like the fact that most of the secondary parts are clearly people living in Eagle River, Wisconsin because <laughs> that, that, that kid who's the familiar and, and the town doctor, are you can tell those are not actors. Those are just town yeah. folks. And I think the thing that made me laugh the hardest, they really should have gotten Karen Black to redo all of her dialogue and post as ADR because Thea is having such trouble enunciating with those fangs in her mouth that it's <laughs> oh, she's trying That's to be true. imposing and she's like you must come to me my dear and you can hear how the fangs in her mouth she can barely enunciate i'm like oh that should have <laughs> been ADR'd, man that so should have been adr that's true. I like it. I actually really dig the the aesthetic of them. Uh, every day they go into the room and they basically vomit out this shroud that has like their intestines and stuff in it. And they kind of just breathe and, and live inside. Like it's so weird and visually like really good looking. It's disturbing uh, with their lungs hanging out of their mouth and they swallow them again when night falls. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's just because it, it it comes out really just like disgusting, but they did a great job with it. I think it's it's neat. It's a it's a very small film. It's like a very contained film. So it moves um, at a lightning clip, too. Oh, God. Yeah, it's super fast. But I think that that's also what helps to benefit it, because a lot of times people will complain about, oh, you've got this. You got a film that takes you know too much in one location. And I mean, the majority of it really is just centered around, you know, the house. So, uh 
I think the fact that it moves so fast does help to alleviate a lot of that where some people might complain they don't have time to complain because everything is just happening so quickly. But it's not rushed. It's not how we have now. They try to convey urgency by like over editing. And this it's just that it's everything moves at a very brisk pace. It's that it's it's that there's a lot of scene changes. And it's the right amount. It's like the right amount of editing and the right amount of just like knowing what to do with the footage because i mean you look at a lot of recent movies now like i I forget which taken sequel it is but there's like 80 different cuts of liam neeson jumping over the fence oh yeah yeah yeah. that's that's i think it's taken three cuts in three seconds or something like holy crap like you don't need that many edits where it's like something like children of the night it's like this is a very it's a very slick editing job it's a very it's a tight production but it's like in a good way like it it moves at as you said at a brisk pace and it really i think works it it makes the film work really really well as far as uh what they did with it the film has a couple of problems first i do think it is gorgeous looking you can mm-hmm. tell tony rendell came from you know larger budget hollywood than yeah it's a, it's than a Steve beautiful Barnett had movie. for mind warp because lots of backlighting lots of blue there's a lot of blue color scheme going on which gives yes. it sort of a cold feel even though it takes place in summer but there are some strange story beats where i went was that really the right way to go with this story the fact that when when a teenager leaves this town they have to go swimming in the flooded crypt where they admit they know there are bodies as like a a, a show of courage and i'm like yeah that's, <laughs> well, that's not just... weird and strange at all that, that these girls are goofing well, look, around that's, just, that's really that's really more of just an a- aesthetic choice for the film though that's just kind of the that's that's to keep the plot going. When Peter DeLuise is trying to get Amy Dolan's out of town, she's 17 and he's 30. And they come up when they're stopped by the cops that they're boyfriend, girlfriend. And I thought that probably is a little creepier than was intended. <laughs> You know, Mm -hmm. and then the whole town is vampires and they're dancing and parts of this movie come across as I think more comical than they intended it to be because it has a serious tone. But then there are parts where you just cannot take the movie seriously, which I think is sort of a tone clash. But then you also have Garrett Morris as the town drunk. And when is Garrett Morris ever not awesome? (laughs) How can (laughs) you? Yeah. How can you not love Garrett Morris? And he technically saves the day. Kind of, sort of. At the end, technically. But Children of the Night... I, I did enjoy it. Weirdly enough, I had not seen this since the 90s till I rewatched it for this retrospective. I did not remember it being as comical as it was. I don't know if I just didn't notice it in the 90s or if I ignored it, but I did not notice how goofy parts of the movie are. Probably just didn't notice it at the time. I think that's that's pretty fair. It It is silly, but there's just something so cool about it that uh, you can't not enjoy it. It's got uh, some odd choices in the way that it goes but overall i think it's still just very enjoyable it's a you know what it is one of the most unique vampire films you will ever see absolutely hank carlson has some words on this as well so then came children of the night and children of the night i had flown back to los angeles and i was i i got to work on some of the stuff at kb's actually um office before we flew back to do Children at Night. So I was working on other things that can be at the time, uh, Rocketeer and City Slickers they were doing. So I got to work on that stuff besides the Children at Night stuff. So we flew back, 
And on this movie, the crew that came back was, it was Bob Kurtzman. He was the, the head. Once again, it was Mark Matry and myself. So we came back and we, it was a lot of vampires every day. A lot of vampires. And it was very cool, like, once again, to work with people that I'd grown up with, like Garrett Morris, who played the town drunk, which he later played the town drunk again in the third movie, A Severed Ties. But I'd grown up watching him on Saturday Night Live. So it was kind of cool to, you know, to have him around. And also uh, having Peter Deloise, because I watched 21 Jump Street, and here's Peter Deloise. Amy Dolan's, her dad was Mickey Dolan's, so there's a lot of bigger names. Karen Black. Karen Black was huge because I, you know, how many horror movies had she been in that I'd seen at the drive-in up till that date? That was incredible. Now, once again, when you meet these people, sometimes you're, the idols that you see turn out to not be what you think. With Karen Black... She had her, her, I do believe her daughter or son came out for a weekend, and we had, like, jet skis and things that we did that weekend. But Karen Black was, was a very unique individual to work with. It's very old-school Hollywood, and I got to experience that because working with someone who's done so much stuff prior to this little horror movie and then working with somebody like Peter Deloise who's done television but never really done any film work it very different styles of how they act and what they expect so it was once again you know seeing that it put things more into perspective that you know not every actor is going to come off being the same there was a lot of work that was done all the sets were in pretty much all the sets the the flooded out crypt that was all indoors in the studio and it was incredible so it it was a swimming pool that they had actually painted the whole floor black and it was one whole room and so they built this crypt and there's under you know underwater there was tombstones and that we would actually go swimming in that when we weren't filming and it was just one of those weird, weird things that, you know, here we are having fun, and then you see it on film, and it's this creepy old crypt, and there we are, like, splashing around in it. Some of the scenes were filmed up in the UP, and that was the church scene, and that's outside of the town. Part of the town was uh, Crandon, Wisconsin. That's where the doctor and that was. It's also filmed in Rhinelander, Wisconsin, Eagle River, Wisconsin big church scene where the van flips and goes into the church that was up in the up and that town was completely deserted so if anybody under knows about the upper peninsula there was a lot of mining going on early on in the early years when the mines went dry everybody left so they have these huge town these towns they're just abandoned that there's just a few people that are there so at night during the day nobody would be around and at night, there would be all these people that would come from surrounding areas, come to watch, you know, a van blow up and flip, which was very cool. And I remember looking into, there was a store, storefronts, and looking in and wishing I could get in. I remember we actually thought about throwing a brick through a window at one point because we saw old Star Wars figures, like the real, the original Star Wars figures, hanging on pegs. This place is completely closed. It had been closed for years. And we're, as a toy collector, I was just dying. I'm like, how do I get in there? How do I get in there? And I remember Bob Kurtzman going, eh, just throw a rock through the window. But no, we didn't do that. 
the big church too, there was, it was kind of creepy in between scenes. We had run around and do things that we weren't, you know, on all movies. So you're not really supposed to. And we found these tunnels. This one tunnel led to this opening that it went up into this one area and it looked like it had been a sealed, like it was a sealed off room. And we broke into that room. There was all these old manuscripts, religious manuscripts and Bibles and text and all this stuff. And we started reading them, and they're creepy. There are some creepy, creepy incidents written in these books. And then we got so spooked over this that we, you know, we left. We left all the stuff there. I don't know whatever happened to the church. I've never been back up there since. It was kind of neat working, too, with a director that had just come off doing Hellraiser. I got to pick his brain a little bit on Hellraiser movies, and, you know, he was the biggest director that I'd worked with up to that point. I, I knew his work, and I could see his work, and he was such a nice, nice man. Very kind, knew what he wanted, very artistic. Uh, you can see it in the film. He knew exactly what he wanted, and it, it shows on the movie that just the lighting and the differences between the sets and things like that, and he's, he was just a great director to work with. I was young. I think I was uh, maybe 19, I think, 19-ish, 20-ish, right around there. You know, everybody I'm working with is old, much older than me. Well, the person that was my age was Amy Dolans. So we both bonded on that film because we were able to talk about the same stuff that, you know, our generation talked about. Uh, same music, same movies. Uh, we went to the movies a few times and, you know, things like that. So it was, it was very nice having somebody that was actually my age instead of, you know, having to act like this grown-up that I wasn't around all the rest of the people. Then after that, we get to Severed Ties. And I sound a little, a little disappointed in that because Severed Ties, like I said earlier, they had to pull money away from Severed Ties towards Children of the Night, which made Severed Ties not turn out the way anyone wanted it to. Severed Ties was mm. directed by Damon Santistefano, who also directed the Fangoria commercial that got this whole thing kicked off. Because of the money problems, because of the production problems, the movie was taken away from him, the ending was reshot because it didn't work the way they had it scripted. Severed Ties is also kind of a tonal weirdness because y you notice, Mind Warp, almost no comedy, it's hard, it's mean-spirited. Children of the Night, mean-spirited but more comedy. Severed Ties, definitely going for more comedy. These The Fangoria films got more comical and lighter in tone as they moved along, which I don't know if that was the right idea. Severed Ties, it's the weakest of the three. I still like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I still do think it's a good movie, but it is still the a good movie the for three. sure. And the only thing is, that's also the least seen of these. Because Mind Warp, Children of the Night, and Severed Ties all came out on VHS, and they were big sellers. You know, they were made for video, the big sellers there. I don't know if it was something with Columbia TriStar. The rights got sort of pooped around a little bit. So Mind Warp mm. got a nice Blu-ray. Children of the Night got a DVD back in the early 2000s that is OOP, and you're going to pay 50 to $80 to try and find it, even though it's only full Fuck. frame on eBay. And Severed Ties mm. has never had a DVD release. So in a mm. way... Mind Warp's the only one of these movies anyone even knows. Well, that's probably because it's got Bruce Campbell and Angus Grimm in it. I mean, then you look at Children of the Night, and then that got its uh, DVD release as well. And I feel like 
I may be wrong about this, but I think they were probably trying to do sort of like a HBO Tales from the Crypt thing with it in, in terms of it being sort of a little bit more of a, a satirical kind of thing, uh, trying to tap into a little bit more of a of a black humor kind of uh aesthetic with it it's it's a good movie i enjoyed it quite a bit but i feel like maybe for its time they they might have missed the mark a little bit yeah i think uh they were going for a little bit more goofy i can definitely tell you that the original title now it's about you know the guy's mutated arm running around killing people the original title was arm dash e oh boy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was the shooting title. So that could oh tell you how God. goofy comical this was right from the get-go. It was arm I, E and then severed ties. I think maybe if they had the full budget and maybe if this wasn't the last of the 90s Fangoria movies, it might be looked at a little bit different. Because I don't think that it's bad, but I definitely agree it's the weakest of the three. Like, whenever you say that, it's pointing, it makes it sound like it's bad. It's like, no, it's just that this, compared to the other ones, was not as good. It's just different. It's 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 different different. in comparison. Yeah, and I mean, being that they went a little bit more for comedy, I think that maybe they should have gone a little bit more for horror. But when you've got a movie about a guy whose arm detaches itself and goes around killing people, (laughs) uh, you know, how, how serious can you be? Well, and we also spoke with Hank Carlson about his work on Severed Ties. So the third and last of the Fangoria films that was shot at Windsor Lake Studios was a movie called Severed Ties. Now, that wasn't the original title. During While we were filming, it was called Armies because of the arms that come out and run around. After the movie got over with, it was kind of cool. Uh, Chris Webster presented us all with certificates that we, we uh, got through boot camp. And they had official seals on them and everything. I have mine in a frame. It's, it's really cool. Uh, looks like it's actually a military discharge. So on that film, I was the arm. So I was in almost the entire movie I was working. And I was working under tight quarters, under the stage. I'd have to stay under the stage for long periods of time to puppeteer the, the arm. I would have to... You know, when it would attack somebody, I would have to wear an all-black outfit and basically hide behind that person and with every movement know what they were going to do. It was almost like a, a choreographed dance. There was one time, though, that Oliver Reed got a little bit carried away in one scene. He's just supposed to be tearing away at the arm that's now on his wrapped around his neck. I'm operating the arms that's choking him, and I'm trying to avoid, you know, the camera being, me being seen and that. And we had rehearsed it, and he didn't get, he wasn't that into it at, during the rehearsal, but when we actually shot it, once again, Oliver Reed's an old-school actor, so he really put all his emphasis into trying to get this thing off and fight it. Well, he rose back, in the film you can see it, actually, he takes his elbow and he slams it backwards, because in his mind... There's not supposed to be anybody behind him, obviously, but in his mind, it was, he thought, like, it's a mugger because I'm, like, snug right up against his back. So when he did that, his elbow hit me full force in the nose, and I thought for sure my nose was broken, which would have been kind of cool because then I could have said, yeah, Oliver Reed broke my nose. It ended up being fine. It wasn't broken, but I had to do the whole scene 
I couldn't take off my my puppeteer outfit until we were, it was completely over with. So I, for the longest time, I thought for sure my nose was broken, but just blood, nothing else. He felt bad about it. He bought me a beer. I'll, I'll forgive him. Also, working with, like I've said in the past, the old school acting, uh, Elkie Summer, she was in the same mindset as as all the rest of the old school actors that had come and gone from the Windsor Lake films. So her and Oliver Reed, when they were together, I think you can really kind of see it on screen that their their acting is much different than Billy Morissette and and, uh, Garrett Morris and you know, the others that are involved because they're obviously old school actors. They come from old school Hollywood. So they're more into what they're doing, more emphasis on, you know, the words and what their, all their actions are. Elkie Summer was very nice. The crew was very nice. We were the ones who were brought on to do the effects. And then Greg Nicotero was brought on to do second unit directing. So that actually was his very first directorial debut was on severed ties as the second unit director so now he's gone on to do walking dead that's much successful and he's a producer and he's done the creep show reboot so it's kind of neat knowing that my small little town that i was born and raised in was greg's very first directorial debut so when we did children at night we were told not to talk to garrett morris about saturday night live it's a touchy subject obviously because of things that went on during Saturday Night Live production with the original cast and crew. We did it. We didn't ask him, but this movie, we knew we were just going to work with him one, you know, one last time on this film. So one day out of the blue, we just decided to ask him. We asked him a couple things about Saturday Night Live, and he was like, man, I don't want to talk about that. You know, that's in my past. I don't like to go back to my past. I just look forward to the future. Very, very nice man. And he goes to us, well, if you're good, maybe I'll give you a treat. And that's all he said. So we had kind of forgotten about it. So we went about the movie, and it was almost, you know, time for the movie to be over with. And Garrett Morris comes into the makeup room, shuts the door, and he goes, all right, I'm going to do this once. And only once, just for you guys, because I love you. He sang us, I'm going to get me a shotgun and kill all the whiteys I see. That's the song he did from Saturday Night Live that was a big hit. And we were laughing so hard. And then he did the song, and he just walked out. And it was very surreal. But it was incredible that we got to have him serenade us with, with such a classic song from Saturday Night Live. If you watch the films, all three of the movies, this movie has a very different look to it and feel. I think biggest reason behind that was that they really didn't have the money that they had for the first two. Fangoria at the time, I think, had probably given them uh, money for all three. They pretty much used up most of it in the first two films, which you can obviously see in the movies. But on this one, there wasn't that much money to go with. So they used a lot of, there wasn't a lot of sets that were done. There was like, you know, a couple of the laboratory set and things like that, but a lot of it was shot on, on locations at like old houses and things like that. That's why it looks so different is because of the budget. And also, Fangoria wanted to give it a little bit different feel from the other two movies because Mind Warp was so dark with it, what it was trying to convey to, that you're living into this alternate reality. And then Children of Night was a little more campy, more I'd con- consider that a little more in the style of like Evil Dead 2, 
and then severed ties came. Well, severed ties is a little lighter yet. That was on purpose because they want I, they wanted to show that they could do more. It wasn't just all serious, serious, you know, gore, 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 you know, kill, kill, kill. So that's why there's a big difference in the looks of all three of the films. So on Severed Ties, they, the ending in the script, they changed so much when they were filming that they realized the ending was not going to work. It just wasn't. We had a big meeting and no one knew what to do because they didn't have an, an ending in mind that would actually could, you know, actually close out the movie properly. And I had talked to Howard before a little bit about how what I could, you know, what I thought would be a really good ending with what we had at, you know, at our fingertips because we couldn't just, you know, we had no budget left and couldn't just leave and go back to K&B and, and Los Angeles, make stuff and come, you know, fly back to Wisconsin. So we had to use whatever we had around us. So we had this meeting, and I still didn't feel like I was, you know, at that level where I should just talk and, you know, bring up things because, you know, I was still felt like a, a newbie. And Howard's like, Hank's got an idea. And I looked at Howard like, oh, God. So I told them what my idea was. Everybody sat there kind of quiet, and they're like, that would work, but can you do it with what we have here? And I'm like, yeah, I, I know exactly what to do. And they said, okay, go and storyboard it out, you know, make the, the things that you have to do, and then uh, work with Greg on how, you know, let him go over the storyboards and show him, the, you know, the changes that were going to be made and that the second unit had to film. The whole ending where the girl comes back out in the, in the gets regenerated into the muck, that was all my idea and all the pieces that were made at the end with the, the, the bubbling of the muck, the skeleton that's coming back to life that's moving around that was actually uh, had some puppeteering things involved with the arm moved and the head and the jaw. So I built all the, that stuff and then worked with Greg very closely. What you see on film is what we, we gave you. So then the Fangoria movies, like I said, they came out on video, they were pretty big hits, and then they just sort of went away. In the digital era, none of them are streaming. Mind Warp's the only one currently really available, because like I said, unless you're going to go to eBay and find the Children of the Night DVD, pay well, through the nose for it, none of these are really available right now, except Mind Warp if you want to go pick up the Blu-ray, I guess. Well, here's yeah. the thing with the Blu-ray on Mind Warp. I think it was only a limited to like 3,000 Yeah, it was. It's not something. even wide widely available. So it's not even widely available. I mean, I when I saw it come out, I I was like I need because I love the movie. I was like hell yeah, I want a Blu-ray of, of Mind Warp and uh, I paid more than uh, you know, you would pay for I think I paid like 40 bucks for it or something when it first came out. It was a limited edition thing and now yeah, if you try to get it, probably like 100 bucks or something on eBay of, you know, from resellers. It is available, but it's not widely available. It's not, you can't go to a Best Buy and pick it up. Well, it's definitely a, a cult film for sure. Well, all of these movies are cult films. Like I said, after this, their, their deal with Columbia TriStar was was dead. And Tony Timpone can put a little bit more of the 90s stuff into context here. You were involved in Fangoria. You know, you were the head of Fangoria at the time. Why did Fangoria decide, instead of just writing about movies, we're now going to start making movies? Okay, well, it all started when the uh, publisher's son, Stephen Jacobs, uh, was given an assignment by his dad to, why don't you uh, come up with a Fangoria TV commercial? 
And then Steve came to me, and I said, ah, that's a great idea. How about, you know, we're, th- we're throwing around ideas who we should get to, to host the commercial. Oh, should we get Elvira? Should we get Bruce Campbell? Blah, blah, blah. And I thought of Angus Scrim. I thought he would be a great, uh, you know, uh, host for the commercial, a great spokesperson. And then we had the idea of, well, let's see if... Don Coscarelli will give us the permission to use the tall man in the commercial to sell subscriptions, and maybe he'll even give us the ball. And and sure enough, we got every, you know, Don was on board and Angus was on board. The guy who directed the commercial, his name was uh, Damon Santa Stefano, and he had been working on some of the uh, Fangoria documentaries that we were doing for Paramount at the time. You know, the, the Tom Savini one, and then we did one on Possession, and we had a, a convention, one about our L.A. convention, produced this TV commercial. It was a big success. And then uh, everybody put their heads together and decided, well, that was, that was a walk in the park. Why don't we try making movies? We got involved with a producer named Christopher Webster, who had been doing some films for uh, New World, like Heathers, and he was involved with one of the Hellraiser movies and uh, and a couple other movies for New, New World, producer, a British producer in the 80s. So uh, he came on board to help shepherd the projects, and he owned a studio in Eagle River, Wisconsin. Uh, let's shoot the movies there. Uh, let's find three projects, uh, which we did. We put out a call for scripts, and we found three scripts that we really liked. And uh, we decided to shoot them back-to-back in Eagle River, Wisconsin at, at the studio there. My part of the the equation was I helped bring talent on board. Uh, again, I got Angus Scrim involved again uh, to star in the first movie, Mind War. K&B came on board to do the makeup effects. So that's how it all started. It all was born out of the TV commercial. We went to uh, the uh, video division of Sony Pictures, uh, Columbia TriStar, and they bankrolled all three movies. You know, we got some pretty cool people involved, directors and writers. Steve Barnett directed the first one, Mind War. The second one was Tony Randall, uh, who had uh, directed Hellraiser 2. And the third one was uh, uh, Severed Ties, and that was directed by Damon Santistefano, who went on to, uh, you know, direct movies for Universal. And that's it in a nutshell. Okay, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but Fangoria, mm-hmm. known for horror, what made you go for a sci-fi movie for the first one? I mean, it's a gory movie. It's got some horror icons, but I, at the time, I remember reading about it and wondering, why are they doing a sci-fi movie? Uh, I think it's because it, uh, it was an existing script. It was something that we could uh, jump into right right away. Uh, there were a lot of locations in, in Wisconsin, like this uh, black sand uh, beach, for example, you know, was able to mirror a post pop apocalyptic landscape, probably budgetary reasons. But, uh, you know, we always sort of sci-fi horror. We never sort of really science fiction because, you know, like it was pretty gruesome. It had mutants in it and it had Bruce Campbell. So we sort always saw it as more of a horror movie with just set in a science fiction world. What was the budgets on these? Because they all three of the movies look really good, especially for yeah. for the time period. What were the budgets on these oh, in comparison to like yeah. a Paramount or a Universal or Warner Brothers film? I, I if I remember correctly, they were about a million and a half each, maybe one to uh, three million, somewhere in that range. And yeah, it was a you know, pretty healthy budget. You know, the first one came in on uh, on budget. The second one went over budget. Children of the Night, you know, because there were big crowd scenes and we had to close down streets in this small town with all the vampires running around. And it, it went over budget. So 
we had to steal money away from the third film, Severed Ties, to put into the second one, which really, unfortunately, hurt the third one, Severed Ties, which didn't come out as good as the first two because of that. And that was a really ambitious script. And, you know, again, it kind of had its wings clipped when the second movie went over budget because we had a, re- you know, a real director on that one, too, Tony Randall, who, again, who had done Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. And, um, you know, he had, he had, you know, a real vision for the project that, unfortunately, took the budget over. How did they do? Because I live in Wisconsin. I live near where these were shot. Time, I had no idea about this, or I would have been a 15-year-old banging on your door demanding a PA position or something. I remember not seeing these ever theatrical. I saw them all on video. How did they do? Uh, they did uh, quite well. Um, they uh, yeah, they were always intended for video, never theatrical. However, uh, they, you know, they got a lot of exposure at film festivals all around the world. Sci-Fi Channel bought two out of the three, the, the first two or, or maybe yeah i think it was the first two they did well you know um i don't think we ever really made much money off of them because when you're dealing with a big studio there's a lot of funny accounting that goes on which so much so that kind of owner of the company norman jacobs was you know, unhappy with that and that's why we never made more movies after that because he thought he had gotten screwed by you know columbia tristar when when it came to the, the accounting on the films so I think they did well enough. They not too long ago they started coming out on a DVD, and you know, people were still discovering the movies. I personally would like to see a box set of all three of them because I know at least in America, Severed Ties is not on disc at all, and Children of the Night is on one of those ridiculously OOP ones that you're going to pay fifty bucks for on eBay. The only one that's really commercially available is Mind Warp, unfortunately. I don't, yeah, it's a shame. Hopefully, uh, someone will go through the vaults over there, Colombian and you know do something with them again at some point do you think that these movies say fangoria's name was not attached to them do you think they would have been as well received as they were or do you think it is the fangoria branding that helped them back in the early 90s I think the Fangoria branding definitely helped them. Um, you know, they got cover stories. Mind Warp was on the cover of Gore Zone. Children of the Night was on the cover of Fangoria. So uh, that definitely gave them a boost. But, you know, I could have seen, but these projects probably could have been set up at, say, New World Pictures or, 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 or actually probably more like Roger Corman's company, Concord, uh, New Horizons. But they would have been sh- shot a lot cheaper. And I don't think they would have looked at as good. And I don't think the, the cast necessarily would have, would have been as good what we were able to bring to the table. And we called in a lot of favors, you know, for instance, um, uh, you know, getting Angus Scrim involved. Uh, KMB did the effects that cost for us on the movies. They didn't, they didn't really make any money on it, but they loved Fangoria and they wanted to give something back. Christopher Webster, our British producer, was friends with uh, Oliver Reed, and he got Oliver Reed to star in the third movie, Severed Ties, which was, you know, really, uh, really cool. So, um, yeah, I think the Fangoria name definitely helped in a lot of ways. That might not have been uh, there if, you know, just done, uh, like I said, for a Roger Corman type. How do you feel looking back at them after all these years when you, I'm sure you probably have, you know, a VHS of Severed Ties and the DVD of Children of the Night. How do you feel when you look at these now from the way you looked at them in the early 90s? Well, to be honest with you, I haven't watched them uh, since 19, uh, you know, since the 90s. I haven't revisited them in 20, you know, like 30 years. Uh, but, you know, I, me- I remember when we, I was... Uh, with the films when they played some festivals overseas 
for example, uh, and at uh, the Dylan Dog Festival in Italy, the first two had played, and we had a big screening for uh, uh, the, the movies, both of the movies in New York City, and that, and, and it, you know, they look good on the big screen, especially Children in the Night had a really nice big screen look to it. The first one, Mind Warp, looked you know, you know like a ro- typical Roger Corman movie, just elevated because you know we had you know, Angus Grimm and Bruce Campbell in there, and some really good makeups. Yeah, I remember that at the time, you know, I remember being. In, you know, fairly impressed and happy with the way they turned out. The third one was a bit of a mess. There was the film was ultimately taken away from the director, Damon Santa Stefano, and they, you know, they recut it, and it was a bit of a mess in the end. But again, that was because they, you know, the budget had been cut at the last minute, and the ambitious vision that Damon had for the film really couldn't be realized at that budget. But he still had Oliver Reed and Elkie Summer in there, and Garrett Morris was in it from Saturday Night Live. So there was a lot of fun things about it, uh, elevated it. You have Rue Morgue magazine making movies. You have a couple couple of other movie magazines that are making their own movies film threat after you started making their own movies do you think fangoria was sort of a trailblazer going we're actually a, a magazine but we're going to make the movies too yeah you were the yeah, first I kind so. of uh, absolutely and made and raising the money on the on the those three movies pretty easy because fangoria was a brand that was very respected and fangoria was enjoying this really huge run in in, in the late 80s early 90s magazine was selling really well it was pretty much a household name during that period just all over the place and you know so that definitely helped uh, you know uh, I think it did make it easier for other magazines or, or put the bug in other editors and publishers ears that oh we should try this too and same thing when you know uh, with some of the more popular websites you know like Dread Central and, and Bloody Disgusting you know that they've followed our model and realized, hey, this is a brand, we should exploit it, like the Fangoria people did. So definitely, we definitely blaze a trail in that sense in, in terms of brand recognition and, and doing merchandising and you know trying to get out into other media, you know, video labels and DVD labels, et cetera, et cetera, books and all, all the other tie-ins that we did. Well, and now with Dallas and Cinestate taking over Fangoria, they're starting this whole thing up again. Do you think this is going to work the same way it did in the 90s? Oh, bigger and better, bigger and better. You know, and, you know, they've been making movies for a couple of years now. That, you know, the first one was Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich. Then after that, they did, um, oh, Satanic Panic, which is terrific. And v, like VFW, they just wrapped a, a new one with Guy Pearce starring called The Seventh Day, directed by Justin Lang, uh, who did a terrific Canadian horror movie called The Dark a few years ago. So uh, they're ta- Dallas and company are taking it to a whole new level, undreamed of back when we were doing the movies. Our movies were, you know, B-movies, and, you know, what, what Dallas is doing, he's taking it up to uh, an A-level when you have people like Guy Pierce starring in your film, and, and VFW would have, has, has this amazing ensemble of actors in it, Stephen, you know, Stephen Lang and Fred Williamson and all these great people. And so, you know, Dallas definitely is taking it at a whole new level than what we were doing. You know, like I said, we were making Roger Corman movies and, you know, Dallas is making, you know, you know, just a, a slight notch below uh, what the studios are doing, but with a lot more uh, independence, ingenuity and creativity. 
that was it, basically, for the Fangoria films until Dallas Sonier of Cinestate bought Fangoria in 2017. And then he relaunched the magazine, he's relaunched Fangoria books, stuff like that, which he also relaunched Fangoria film. Like I said, we're, we're mm. going to gloss over all of the just Fangoria present stuff where they didn't really do anything in the, in the 90s and 2000s. So the first thing Dallas did was Puppet Master the Littlest Reich, which I didn't like. I thought it was just mean-spirited and gory for the sake what? of gory. I love this movie. I didn't yeah. like it. And that, that's that's fine if you guys did. I couldn't... St- but I'm not a Puppet Master fan to begin with. I don't like the franchise oh. in general. And this one well, just came across sense. as excessively mean-spirited and it just didn't work for me. I, I don't see how it was mean-spirited, though. Like, I honestly thought it was really fun. thought it had a lot of great practical effects in it. I thought it had some great gore. Seeing Barbara Crampton was fantastic. I really liked that one a lot. The same with you. I thought uh, it was great uh, seeing the puppets again, seeing the practicals, seeing the actual, you know, puppetry going on. And Yes. I think that uh, it was... It was more mean-spirited because in general, I mean, even though Puppet Master movies have gone all the way through like, uh, you know, Nazi Germany for crying out loud, but they always kind of had a, a little bit of like tongue and cheekedness to them. Yeah, uh, there was a this... certain amount of fun where Littlest Reich just came across as, like I said, mean-spirited is the only way. I, mean, don't, I, I seem to remember that they How eviscerate the a pregnant see... woman and they just hang on it it just seems look at us we're hardcore now man no yeah, i just think every, that they went every they were horror trying to go movie over the does t- that though like i i think i made a joke about this like 900 years ago when i did my anthropophagus review and a pregnant woman shows up in a horror movie that's never a good thing like it's just kind of a thing it's like if a pregnant chick shows up in a horror flick, something awful is going to happen. That's just that's yeah. just kind of what goes down. It, this will <laughs> only end poorly. Exactly. So, yeah, it was mean-spirited, but I think that what they were trying to do was, I mean, there's, at the time, it was either 11 or 12 Puppet Master films. Something and I think like they that, wanted yeah. to do something that was real, that was still in the spirit of Puppet Master, but was something that was very different from what they had ever done before. Like so way they decided... More, way more violent, for one. Like, it's one of the goriest entries in the f***ing series. Yeah, it, oh, just, it just seemed excessive. After Puppet Master The Littlest Reich, then they released satanic panic the trailer had me not really into this and the trailer (laughs) was accurate this time i didn't really dig satanic panic so then they went to vfw which also seems like a little bit of a strange film for fangoria to be putting their name on i mean it's very gory it's it's basically a siege film there's not a lot of horror elements but vfw is one of the best uh, movies on paper on paper no but i think once you deep dive into it a little bit, it definitely is a horror film. And I think VFW, not only is it one of the best movies I saw in 2019, it is one of the best movies that's going to be out for a while. It's not a movie for everybody. Everybody's not going to look at this the same way. I absolutely loved VFW. I loved the lighting. I thought it felt like an 80s movie and not in a kitschy throwback sort of way as we've dealt with. It felt like a movie would have been made back then. It felt like a canon film. Yeah, it had an amazing cast. You cared about these characters. My literal only problem with it was a little bit, you could call this a nitpick, but it's something I think should have been nailed down a little bit better is when is this movie? I don't even know if it was the future because they're still using videotapes and analog TVs. We do have the young veteran, though, who could either be an Iraq, you know, Iran or something, you know, Middle East war vet 
the movie theater across the street where all of the punks, which very much are out of an Exterminator 2 kind of movie, all yes. of those punks, <laughs> the movies that are being shown there are from 1992. There, There is a brain scan poster there, so yeah. this has to take place at least in 1992 or after, but everything is still analog technology, no one has cell phones. It's sort of a weird when like did this movie take place? Future. Like, obviously Obviously, uh, so then that way, the young vet in the movie, that could be probably a Gulf War vet. Desert Storm, yeah. So Desert that, Storm, that was my yeah. only problem. I loved the characters. Graham, you know what? You know I love you, but watching you get your head blown off, Graham Skipper, was fantastic. I loved VFW. I thought VFW was absolutely fantastic, Just and I great. wish more people would see it. Way back in, I think, 2014... Uh, I had watched this little movie on Netflix called Almost Human. Alien abduction movie. It was it was kind of neat. It was very low budget, but there was something very earnest about it. It was starring a guy who I didn't know back then named Graham Skipper. Great in Beyond the Gate, too. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's, yes. and, I and like and he, him a lot. he directed Sequence Break, which was one of my best movies of 2017. Yeah, he's he's something, you know, he's another one to really keep an eye on. I had, uh, I, I watched it, and it was it was a neat little movie, and uh, I contacted uh, Joe Bigos, who directed it on Twitter, and basically said, hey man, you know, I watched this movie, I really liked it. And he was very kind, he said thank you. And then 2015, The Mind's Eye came out, which was very which, much... You. Thank you so much for directing me to that movie. Like, I oh, love yeah. that. I wanted to point, yeah, I pointed Peter in the direction. I'm like, you need to see this. I'm like, this is the unofficial scanner spinoff that we've always wanted. Yes. And it's really good. It's another one where I'm like, okay, all right, this guy I really need to keep an eye on because here's two movies that are, you can tell they're low budget, but they're still very good. To me, really stands out because it shows that he knows how to, you know, how to do a lot with very little. And I know he had a lot of problems because the movies didn't do particularly well. They didn't really get a lot of attention. And he kind of reinvented himself and came and just knocked it out of the park, did two movies, uh, Bliss and VFW, that just... I have yet to see Bliss, but I'm really looking forward to it. But uh, VFW is just incredible. This is where you're really starting to see, okay, here's somebody who was showing what he could do with very little, and now he's showing what he can do with more. A little bit more. You know? Yeah. A little bit more. You know, we're not talking a, you know, a $20 million horror film. We're talking, God, I, I don't even, I, I can't even warrant I guess how much VFW cost because the cast is really impressive, which like in some cases that means that there's a lot of money. You know, you've got, uh, you got Stephen Lang, Goddamn but, Fred David Patrick George, Kelly, George, Fred Williamson. George, George Wendt, Wendt was the one that was weird for me. He was but good though. He was really good. When you've got a lot of name actors, a lot of times that means that, you know, there's a, a bigger, you know, a much bigger budget involved, even on people, people don't seem to understand uh, you know, oh, well, that's a guy who hasn't made a movie and blah, blah, blah. Well, it's like there's still a name and there is a dollar amount value that is attached to that name. A, if an actor is invested enough in something, if he really likes it, he's willing to kind of forego what he might normally make to be in that kind of film. So that's I have right. a feeling that this probably had a decent budget, but I think that there were a lot of people that got in there that were like, no, this is something I want to be involved in and maybe didn't take quite as much as they would have normally taken too just based on their performances alone like we we got to see some of the all-time best performances particularly from william sadler fred williamson and martin cove were just firing on 
all cylinders. Like they were just fantastic in this movie. It is definitely something I would hope that Fangoria would be able to pump out more of. I mean, this is this isn't just really good movie for people who like horror movies and the no, this is just a really good movie across the board. Yes. So I really loved it. Like I um few movies that I get like genuinely excited for as far as like recent films go like uh 2011 with with uh, nicholas reference drive really reminded me that you know new movies that come out can be really exceptional and really great and there are a few others that have that have come out that have gotten me excited but with vfw like i've since doing this uh this episode i've i've watched vfw at least three to four times i've done my own video on it I just love it. It's it's visual aesthetic is fantastic. You've got that perfect dive bar looking neon beer signs, all this stuff within the VFW itself, you know, 80s looking splatter punk punk dudes and some of the coolest actors ever. Like you got Stephen Lang playing a, a cool ass veteran. You got Martin Cove. You got Fred Williamson. You got William Sadler among the other people that are in the movie. And they're all just, as I said, uh, responding to Cecil earlier, just firing on all cylinders and just a fantastic soundtrack. Like one of the coolest synthy synth rock soundtracks. Like it fits perfectly in terms of the tone of, uh, feels like something that could have come out in the 80s like it feels like something from the canon catalog or from the new world or empire or something like it's just an awesome film both in terms of something that fangoria could release but i'm not going to give them credit for it i'm giving credit to joe bigos because obviously he was going to make an awesome movie after i saw something like the mind's eye and i was so blown away by it and it, it just I was already expecting so much from it and it, it exceeded every expectation. Like anybody that is into canon movies, vigilante stuff, Vietnam vet, Vietnam vigilante this is the movie for you. Like VFW, the perfect film in that category. Like, you know, it, it, it could easily be in a night where you watch the exterminator you watch like death wish three and then then you put on vfw like it would be a perfect film in that category oh if this film were made in the 80s it would have starred charles bronson instead of stephen absolutely it, it would have been like it would have been like uh like who would the cast be you'd have bronson as you'd, you'd, have, you'd have robert ginty and william sadler's robert role Ginty. You'd have Michael Dudikoff. You'd have David Bradley. Like these would be the vets in like and the bar. And you'd still basically. have Fred Williamson because that yeah, guy does not Fred age. Fred Williamson would be there. But then after VFW came out to much acclaim, by the way. So then, unfortunately, with all of the coronavirus nonsense, their le their next movie, Porno. I have a problem with the title, but well, I don't have a problem with the title. I have a problem with the title severely limits it. Websites are not going to do a review for Porno. You're not going to be able to advertise for a movie called Porno. I think calling it Porno. Porno, while it makes sense in the context of the film, is severely limiting in what you can do with the movie. It was it was due out in two weeks. Now with all the coronavirus stuff shutting down theaters, because this was a theatrical release, it might be May or maybe later. So I don't know when Porno is actually coming out. I talked to Dallas of Cinestate a couple of days ago, and he said right now it's maybe May. So Porno mm. is their latest one. You can find the trailer. It's also set in 1992. Weirdly enough, against the backdrop of Encino Man and a League of Their Own about, yes. <laughs> about a movie 
movie theater. I, I have some problems with some things that happen, but basically they find a haunted 70s film with a succubus in it. When they play it, it, re- it releases a sex demon, and they're all sort of religious. It, it's weird. I don't think the ending works, and there are a couple of weird things, like it's never explained to us how this succubus is trapped in this film that cannot be destroyed. There's this whole old porno theater underneath this religious theater that was burned down in the 70s and nobody seems to ever address this at all and then people get their testicles exploded and they're still running around I I would think that would be a debilitating injury but I guess not I have some problems with it but I loved the style of porno I liked the tone of it for the most part I think now remember I am an atheist and I don't like religious, anything religious. This film is so mean-spirited to religious people that even I started going, you guys need to back off a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> because, I mean, there's not liking religious people and then saying every single religious person is a sick, disgusting pervert underneath. Even I think that might be a hair too far. I enjoyed the movie. It has good performances. I liked the look of it. Porno is not a bad flick. It just has a really bad title. It was okay. As as you've said, like, the visual aesthetic of it was nice. I, I watched it. I watched the whole thing. I tried to get into it. I... I just, I don't know. I wasn't very impressed with it, I guess. I thought it was, I I did feel like it was trying a little too hard to do the anti-religious atheist kind of stuff. And it's like, it isn't even so much that was mean-spirited. I just kind of found myself rolling my eyes. It was, it was okay. It was, I mean, I, I think after watching something like VFW and then watching porno, I was like, oh, okay. I still recommend porno. Huh. See, yeah, see, I, I, I would, I would recommend it too. I think it's worth, it's worth a watch. But I, I just didn't think it was as, uh, I guess, as cool as it could be. Do you also see the problem with the title? I do recommend you watch porno yeah, when nobody, it comes out. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna review that. You're not gonna see that on, on any like anybody's gonna be publishing that. It's like just the title alone, porno. Well, I mean, like yeah, even review, when I was sending it, like let me play like, devil's no advocate here. About that. Let me play devil's advocate here for a second. The trailer is up on Fang uh, on uh, YouTube. It has 1.9 million views of the wow. trailer. So I in in that case, I think that maybe I don't like the title either. That is a lot of attention. That's a lot of very simple-minded people that are like. <laughs> porn on youtube yeah well that's like (laughs) whenever they release like the most searched terms on google where it's like the most searched terms boobs vagina (laughs) they're really just these basic uh so porn so that's probably really what it does come down to where somebody just typed in porn oh my god there's a porn a trailer for porno but the thing is it got it in front of the eyes of people and that's really the job of the marketing so whether or not 1.9 million people went out and you know are going to watch porno is probably the, you know, I would say a good chunk of that who who saw it probably were like, ah, you know what, I'll check it out. One of the problems with the title is even when I was trying to send it to you guys, remember Cecil, I said, can I send you por- the, the porno movie? And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm like, that's the title. It's a horror flick. I was like, look, I know that I'm like trapped inside right now and all, but I, I didn't know it. I didn't know I exuded that I needed you to send me porn. 
<laughs> so I, I just think the title is a little unfortunate. Like you said, there's an upside, but I also think when it comes out, you're not going to see a lot of reviews for it because Bloody Disgusting is not going to be reviewing a movie called Porno on their site. Lots of lots of papers, lots of magazines, lots of blogs are not going to have, and we're reviewing Porno this week on their site. I think it's going to hurt I the film did, in the long run. If I did a review of it, there's no way it wouldn't get demonetized. Even if it was like the cleanest video, ever, just the title alone, I would probably not even be able to debate that. Yeah. I'd be like, no, it's the title of the movie. Nope, demonetized. Yeah, you would you would immediately get uh, chastised for it. I, I do think people should look up the movie, but like I said, my biggest issue was probably the title. I did enjoy it. I had problems with it, but I enjoyed it. Where the future goes for Fangoria right now as you heard in the tony timpone interview they're still making movies they just made a movie with guy pierce that doesn't have a trailer yet Mm. they're getting bigger and bigger stars bigger and bigger budgets hopefully dallas can keep fangoria films going for a while but that said which era of fangoria films do you prefer the 90s three or so far the 2000s four just for vfw the 2000s it's it's rough because the thing is moving forward there's so much more potential for what they can do and VFW was just phenomenal. I just have a special place in my heart for the 90s. Love Mind Warp and uh so I'm going to just say I'm going to say largely because of the strength of Mind Warp I'm going to go 90s. I think it's kind of interesting when magazines branch out like this because you had Fangoria doing this, Film Threat made a couple of films in the 90s, Rue Morgue made that Galaxy of Horrors film a couple of years ago and they're making another one. I wouldn't be surprised if Horror Hound starts making one. Weirdly, that might be the branding of the future, the magazines making our films. It, which is just strange to me. But that said, I think you should go check out Mind Warp, Children of the Night, Severed Ties, even though I didn't like them, Satanic Panic and and The Littlest Reich, and then VFW, and Porno is not out there yet, but whenever it does come out, I do think you should check it out. I think they're all quality flicks. You're not going to be disappointed with any of them. I think you're going to enjoy all of them. Of those seven films, try to check out as many as you can, although you might need the Nord code if you're you're going to try and find children of the night and severed ties because like i said <laughs> those are the ones not currently legally streaming or on disc anywhere so a little bit hard to find yeah you might have to go to the dark side of the web for that 1201beyond.com backslash drome vpn so on that note where can people find cecil pulling out his old mind warp vhs and popping it in for some full frame goodness you can find me over at uh, goodbadflicks.com as well as goodbadflicks on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. Where can we find Peter probably watching VFW for the 16th time? You can probably find Peter watching VFW for probably the 18th time on uh, Twitter at Cinematica, Facebook, The Cinematicist, YouTube, The Cinematicist, of course, on 1201beyond.com with other fine programming and on Patreon at Cinematica. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.